Chipper. Yeah. I just got back from vacation. Yeah, I would so. be chipper too. <laughs> yeah. It was um it was really nice. I was up in the San Bernardino forest in yeah. It I, wasn't on fire? No. Fuck yeah. You I know, mean, we're on fire here. <laughs> yeah, we're on fire here. Um no, this is up near Lake Arrowhead and um I know I sent you some of the pictures. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most beautiful vacation I've ever oh, been yeah. on. Like truly. It was the that's, these you know that's what Flagstaff looks like, right? Like you've been up to Flagstaff. I've right? never been to Flagstaff. Oh my god, we're going to Flagstaff. Okay, let's Okay. Pick a weekend and okay, do it. I will go. <laughs> let's do it for my birthday. Okay. Okay. Wait, weren't we doing something else for your birthday? I don't know. Oh, okay, that's think, fine. I don't think we've planned that yet. Okay. Um I will plan for my mom to come out here to take care of Jasmine so I don't have to bring her with me. To Kate to take care of all the eighty bitties. Oh yeah, I just got <laughs> <laughs> so cat has <laughs> Two new itty bitty kittens. Itty bitties, they're so cute. <laughs> she kept she kept texting me like the itty bitties, and now that I've met them, I'm like, oh, they are itty bitty. So they little. like fit in one hand. <laughs> they're so cute. Oh man, yeah, they're adorable. Isolt and Finnan, they're great. So where do those names come from? Those names come from the Last Kingdom, which we have already talked about yes. on this podcast, and we will definitely talk about more when you cover a certain woman from that time period the lady of mercy fuck yeah i just got to the episode where she was named the lady of mercy oh, I was like, yeah. yes! <laughs> and i was like i'm so excited to cover her one day she's back she's she's truly badass she's I hope, amazing i hope they show i hope they show this one specific thing that i won't you talk know, about you know next season's the last one then they'll probably cover it we just finished <laughs> filming i can't wait there's a lot of good stuff coming out. There's The Last Kingdom, Witcher. The Witcher. Yeah. Uh, Shadow and Bone got season two. I saw that. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm back from vacation. I, you know a little bit about this beforehand. Was was hit with like hell week. <laughs> yeah, just like a really down in the dumps kind of like week, week and a half. Um, so this was perfect. I just loved it. it was. Like I, I went down there just sad and depressed and then (laughs) just I part of it I really think I don't know that Phoenix is going to be sustainable to me because I feel literally just drained from the heat yes parched and drained from the heat you're not allowed to leave me I know but I need I need you may move to like Flagstaff Prescott (laughs) area but you are not allowed to leave the state I need nature I felt right there with you so recharged and like myself oh, by yeah. the time I left well I told you that the one big thing I was sad about moving away from was the fact that I was backed up my apartment was backed up to like really pretty hills Beautiful and mountains yeah there was hills lots of I mean I was surrounded by mountains there was it was, it was like a city but it wasn't yeah super city it was mostly nature and then like a little bit of city and yeah. here it's entirely you were like suburb like in the middle yeah yeah of everything <laughs> yeah it was and nice. I swore I would never move closer to the city, and I moved closer to the fucking I city, know, and I, I just realized shocked. that, and I was like, shit! <laughs> and hiking was so convenient. Oh, yeah. 
which it goes a long way to like just just grounding yourself in nature like i know yeah. it i know i'm gonna sound like a crazy ass pagan but you like you are a crazy ass pagan that's why i love when you. <laughs> your anxiety is truly kicking up i highly recommend this um i made my friends do it go out find some dirt go yes. barefoot and yes. just stand in the dirt and let yourself be grounded to the earth and i promise you, you connect yourself to the earth and it then it will help you yeah nature takes over that no one saw that movement which was fun <laughs> but <laughs> i saw it it was beautiful thanks <laughs> but yeah um yeah i definitely need that it was <laughs> we'll we'll plan the flags the flagstaff trip we should go hiking in the lava dunes i want to let's do it yes we should get a cabin I'm just, I'm like all about Airbnb now because it's, it. it's the same price as a hotel, but you oh, get yeah. the entire place to yourself. It's like amazing. It. This is not an ad for Airbnb. No, but if you want us to do ads for <laughs> you, reach you out. If you want to sponsor <laughs> us, like I would gladly uh, <laughs> accept. Um, no, not an ad, but you are listening to Difficult Damsels. Oh, yeah. Hi. That's Kat. Yeah, yeah, that's Rachel. <laughs> I switched it up on you. you I hate when you do that. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> And we are now on episode 16, and this is Cleopatra, part three. Yes. Tell them what happened, Rachel, with this uh, three-part series. (laughs) Tell them what happened. Um, It's going (laughs) to not be three parts. (laughs) It's going to be four. It is going to be four. We will end it at four, I promise. Yeah, (laughs) I I was finishing up the notes for the episode um up at the cabin and I got to 12 and a half pages and I looked at my book and I was kind of going over the events in um my head of like what still has to come and I was like like so there's no way not without me rushing it and I don't think people want me to rush this not story to rush it. so yeah so this uh three-part series is now a four-part series welcome you're welcome <laughs> i hope you've been enjoying it so far we're about to get into some more. i have and i've been miserable this whole time obviously <laughs> clearly it shows <laughs> clearly um we're about to get into more nitty-gritty ridiculous oh good i kind of figured it was going to be a four-parter because i mean you have her her life with you know obviously her life and then julius caesar and then mark antony and i was like Anthony didn't seem like it was like a small no. part of her life. So no, I was not at all. I mean, I was surprised, but I was like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a lot that goes on there. There's a lot because Octavian. Like, we'll we'll start to talk about Octavian in this episode. Um, the adopted child that you just like threw at me, and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. After yeah, you just told me he didn't have any kids, and you're like, yeah, Octavian. I was like, also, the funny thing is, is Rome thought the same thing. Cool. Nobody knew who he was. Rome's like, one more time? Who is? They, uh... they basically, like, knew the name, but, and, and we'll get into this in more detail, but Octavian didn't live in Rome, so he, well, I don't know. We'll get into that. Too far we'll ahead. get into it. But, um, <laughs> if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, please go do so. Yay. Otherwise, this might be very confusing. Um, but for the time being, we'll just do... A brief recap of where we left off, which was uh, essentially Julius Caesar has been stabby stabbed. Lots of times. Lots of times by many people. Didn't he get stabbed 23 times? Yeah. You know, that's my lucky number. Is it really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks, Caesar. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for being stabbed. I don't know why it's my lucky number. I think it it was the lucky number on my mom's side of the family, and I just kind of adopted it. That's random, but good for you. But maybe avoid Roman senators. Yeah, I won't. I'll just be like, 
Um, after Julius Caesar was stabby stabbed, Cleopatra viewed the anguish and chaos in Rome from Caesar's villa. And noped the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was utter pandemonium. And um, you know, she watched as buildings were set on fire and people were hunting down the conspirators. And she was like, "Yeah, fuck no." And <laughs> she bounced. And did she grab her carpet and roll? She did not. Damn it. <laughs> she doesn't need the carpet anymore. <laughs> She's Cleopatra. <laughs> um, and then Caesar's will was read, and this is when he named his adoptive son Gaius Octavius. By the bye, homies. <laughs> AKA Octavian, yeah, as his heir. And then Mark Antony was named as the guardian, and Cleopatra and their son Caesarion were not mentioned at all. That doesn't surprise me at all. Why would it? Yeah. Hard fought for getting with a married man, but you know. I mean, <laughs> when you're when you're I don't know when you're this queen of this very powerful country, you're you do what you want. Well, yeah, and your options are limited. Like if you want somebody, if you want to find somebody who's truly your equal, your options are very limited. Oh, yeah. Plus, she was technically married to her little brother. Yes, times two. Yes, <laughs> and then she Twice killed him. Twice over. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That also happened in the last episode. Yeah. She had her second husband, who was another Ptolemy. Her second brother. Her second brother husband killed. <laughs> Did I send you, random side note, tangent, has nothing to do with this except for the name. Did I send you the video of that pygmy hippo whose name is Ptolemy? No. Wait, maybe? I think I did. Oh, he is adorable. Chat. He has zoomies, but I was just so excited. It's a little pygmy hippo. and it's Send it again. With his mom. I'll try and find it. And okay. he has fucking... And his name is Hippo Zoomies, and his Ptolemy. name is Ptolemy. I'm seeing Ptolemy so all over cute. the place now. There was like a Ptolemy a few hundred years later that was another writer, and I was like, pick another name. Yeah, right? <laughs> Shit, <too> guys. <laughs> so Cleopatra did not spend long mourning her dead lover. She had work to do after all. When she, she wasn't. Was a goddamn queen, people. <laughs> she was. <laughs> She's a goddess, remember? <laughs> so when she wasn't deifying herself or her son, she set to work on the city of Alexandria, doing what she could to lure all the great philosophical minds of the period. And this is one of sort of new Renaissance flowers in the wake of Caesar's death after Cleopatra returns to Egypt. She ends up taking on one of her father's pet projects and starts to invest in new temples and libraries around the city. Yes. And her biggest project will be the construction for the Temple of Isis. She also commissioned a temple to be made in Caesar's honor, which was called the Caesarian of Alexandria. This was another... It, was it in Caesar's honor or her son's honor? Because it's her son's name. This, this was in <laughs> Caesar's honor, and it was like the Caesar... It was Caesar's temple, but in Alexandria. Oh. It was another big temple that a lot of people visited when it existed. Yeah. And then Cleopatra was also a huge patron to the Temple of Hathor, which had been devoted to women's health in the city. Cool. And then, um, so I just, I have a couple of random facts about Cleopatra. So she's credited for having discovered a cure for male baldness that involved creating a paste of the following. Deer marrow, burnt horse's teeth, burnt mice, a burnt rag, bear's grease, and reed bark. Once this was mixed with honey, the mixture would be applied to the scalp. And then, like magic, baldness is cured. I'm sorry, but now you're not bald, but you smell like shit. No one's coming near you. <laughs> yeah, you totally got hair on that head of yours. Um, I'm gonna be over I think here. It's, I think it's the mouse's hair. Um, Ew! What the fuck? Who? How? Who? 
she was very <laughs> i guess she was just very interested in like alchemy and science so there's all these weird stories that come out from the period um, i would like to say how like you got to that but i make some weird weird uh mixes when i'm cooking yeah. and I, when i do my leftover cooking i'm like what do i have in the fridge <laughs> She was also a rumored occultist that was allegedly curious about science, medicine, and alchemy. And Cleopatra was said to have taken a particular interest in learning which poisons acted quicker than others and which <laughs> induced more pain in their victims. Huh, wonder why she was, uh, she was looking up that. She doesn't have a brother to kill anymore. <laughs> brother, husband. We also have reports of Cleopatra showing an interest in how contraceptives worked in this, peri- in this period. Got one more thing for the Romans to hate her for. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Egypt, again, is very different. Like, women have more rights. Yeah. (laughs) The babies. (laughs) My cats are asleep in the cutest way possible. In addition to inspiring an intellectual revival and a renaissance, Cleopatra managed to skillfully navigate a number of economic emergencies at home. While the birth of Caesarion had indicated a bountiful harvest to come, the Nile could not sustain such record highs, and eventually the river did begin to recede again. Those record highs turned into record lows, Uh and once again, Cleopatra faced drought and famine in Egypt on several different occasions. Who'd she blame it on? (laughs) Nobody. I know. She just... So... I love when they take credit for it being bountiful, but the second it, like, becomes a drought, they're just like, like, oh, that's that's weird to do with us. Not me. (laughs) Well, during these especially (laughs) difficult times, she was forced to open the royal granaries and distribute wheat for free to the city of Alexandria to keep her citizens from starving the horror free food what (laughs) well i mean a lot of people wouldn't do this i know so that was to her credit to make matters worse a recent archaeological study suggests that egypt may have been suffering from a pandemic and some people argue that the bubonic plague may have actually originated in egypt during cleopatra's time instead of asia so there was like i guess this archaeological dig um somewhere in egypt that they carbon dated to this time period and they found some like black gross stuff yes you guys her hand <laughs> motions are great <laughs> and then to make matters even more worse yeah. even worse <laughs> yet another roman civil war was about to find itself in the harbor of alexandria oh my god again. she's like take this somewhere else <laughs> so it's time to go back in the rewind time machine rewind time machine <laughs> You didn't even call it a time machine. You called it a rewind machine. It's a rewind machine. It's a rewind. Okay, we're going in the rewind machine. Are you ready? We're going back to Rome. All right, buckle up. So following (laughs) the stabby stabby of Caesar, (laughs) his closest ally, Mark Antony, set to work on restoring order to Rome and ensuring that Caesar received all the accolades due to him in death, making sure he'd be forever remembered as a hero and not a traitor. And he succeeds. Caesar is deified and shrouded in myth that survives us to this day. But now enters Octavian. Baby-faced, fresh off the boat, 18-year-old Octavian. Oh, he's 18? I thought he was going to be a little itty-bitty. He's, he's still pretty itty-bitty. I mean, now compared to like people in England who are like, you're 12, take over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of dramatizations of Cleopatra's life and the fall of Caesar like to insert Octavian a little early in the story, suggesting he was already an active and vocal member of the Senate to add a little spice. He wasn't. In fact, he was hardly ever in Rome. Nobody even knew him. When Octavian traveled to Rome to claim his inheritance, he was completely green and untested. By the time he shows up, he has absolutely no military or political experience. All he has going for him is the Julian name, courtesy of Caesar. 
And as it turns out, that's all he needs. So basically, when Octavian started making his way towards Rome, people knew this was Caesar's heir, and they start to flock to him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know you, but hey! (laughs) Rome had anticipated that Caesar's chosen heir would avenge his death, and that's exactly what Octavian pledged to do. When he showed up to claim his fortune, he found Mark Antony. Mark Antony, by contrast, was more than twice Octavian's age at 41. All accounts like to suggest he was incredibly handsome, with a killer smile and an easy charm to boot. Did they get married? (laughs) (laughs) You're setting it up like they're about to get married. (laughs) Well, (laughs) they they didn't get married, but (laughs) there's a sister involved. Oh, no. But he was a notorious party boy with a tragic upbringing and a flair for making enemies easily. While he had an abundance of charisma and a relatively decorative military career, he lacked self-restraint. He was also terribly prideful, obnoxiously boastful, and perpetually drunk. You literally just explained like half the males in existence. I know. (laughs) (laughs) He also loved his women, especially strong-willed, determined, feisty women. Oh, okay, I'll give him that. (laughs) And just like Caesar, Mark Antony was a notorious philanderer as well. Now, um, there's a lot of stories associated with Mark Antony, but just to give you the kind of an idea of the kind of person he was, this was my favorite story. He apparently attached lions to his chariot and took it for a joyride around Rome. Sounds like it wouldn't be problematic at all. What are you talking about? (laughs) Lions are known to be great chariot pullers (laughs) until they see people running. Can you imagine? (laughs) You're just like, you, you see who it is and you're like, huh. And it's Mark Antony. Sounds about right, but uh, those are lions. But those are fucking lions. <laughs> Cicero also famously hated Mark Antony, but just like, like he how had did Caesar. That end? Do we have stories? <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea how it ended. Oh I just God. know that he went on this joyride one day. Oh my God! <laughs> I love how you say Cicero hated another person. Right? Does he like anyone? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Nobody liked him either. Excuse me. Oh wait, except for that part. <laughs> Mark Antony gave. Um, He gave Cicero a lot of material to work with. The stories are countless, but of course the biggest denunciation Cicero laid at Mark Antony's feet was the fact that he was beholden to his ambitious and greedy wife, Fulvia. Fulvia is another famous femme fatale from Rome that our favorite crazy history uncles love to villainize. Of course. (laughs) We may actually cover her one day. She's pretty interesting. Yes, her name is interesting. She would have kept good company with Agrippina. Oh, okay. Kind of the personality you're dealing with. Mark Antony had been Caesar's closest ally and expected to be named as Caesar's heir. So when Octavian finally showed up, it was a bit of an awkward situation. Mark Antony's like, can you, can you go back? Like, go away. <laughs> no much. one knows who you are. <laughs> Mark Antony viewed Octavian as an upstart and had no problem telling that to Octavian's face. Oh, no. <laughs> he famously said to Octavian that you, in fact, possess all the distinctions of Caesar's that you do, family, name, rank, and wealth, because of me. Oh, Okay. I don't think that's right, but... <laughs> um, a little bit. Oh, okay. Mark Antony was basically Caesar's right-hand man. Yeah. So whatever Caesar asked for, he did his best to deliver. And then Caesar ends up giving all his titles and names to this little upstart kid. <laughs> Literally, why are you surprised? I'm this not. is how it always happens. <laughs> he shouldn't have been either. Anyway, the scene is set. These two will eventually become the bitterest of enemies, and Cleopatra will be swept up in their rivalry, but for the time being, 
Caesar was the one thing they had in common, and bringing his conspirators to justice will lead them to forming an alliance for now. And like any good alliance, it is sealed with a marriage. So Mark Antony's sister ends up marrying Octavian. This is the, an alliance you want to drag, or like a, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. I don't even know. This is an objective that you want to drag out as much as possible. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you, you want to make sure you, in theory, make uh, the wife of your new friend of me happy. Yeah, well, no, I'm talking about the, the, the you have common ground yes. as far as, like, avenging Caesar. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe we drag this out and make it last as long as I possible. I mean, it, <laughs> it does the job, yeah. as we're going to find out. So this alliance will go on to become the second triumvirate, in addition to Mark Antony and Octavian. The third member of the triumvirate is Marcus Amelis Lepidus. Um, These fucking names. <laughs> Lepidus isn't really important to our story, though, so okay. we're just going to push him off to the side. And... He's there, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he like, just stands there and looks We're pretty. just going to wave him off by Lepidus. He's princess waving in the background. <laughs> the, the key thing to know about this second triumvirate is that, unlike the first one, it's actually sanctioned by Rome, and they are given free reign to root out Caesar's assassins and kill them. Yeah. So basically half the Republic is on the run, though. So it's the the people who are more loyal to Caesar (laughs) who are in Rome. They're like, oh, yeah, go do what you need to do. Yes. (laughs) So by the time the Civil War floated its way to Egypt's shores, Cleopatra received requests for aid from both sides. One messenger came from Gaius Cassius Longinus. Stop it. (laughs) So Cassius, you'll remember he was one of the main conspirators. Longinus. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> He's also named Gaius. Like, everybody's named Gaius. <laughs> Longinus is where I'm stuck. <laughs> Cassius had been one of Caesar's most outspoken rivals. The other requests for aid came from Publius Cornelius Dolabella. <laughs> it's like you're not even trying to make them sound like normal names. <laughs> We're going to call him Dolabella. Well, let's call him Publius. <laughs> <laughs> he was basically... If Mark Antony was Caesar's right-hand man, Dolabella had been his left-hand man. So he's one of the Caesar um, loyalists. Oh, okay. So to Cassius, who she undoubtedly would have hated, Cleopatra gave the usual excuses. She's like, fuck off. (laughs) Her country was in the middle of a famine, and she simply could not spare any food, money, or aid. Sorry, not sorry. That's convenient that both times... (laughs) She'll do it a lot. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) She'll do it a lot. (laughs) As she rebuffed Cassius with one hand, she maneuvered to aid Dolabella with the other, sending along the four legions that still remained with her courtesy of Caesar. In return for her aid, Dolabella had pledged to officially recognize Caesarion as king of Egypt. I used to know this, but how big is a legion? Do we know? No. I can look it up when we're off air. Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, the ships were intercepted by Cassius's fleet and immediately deflected to his side. This is Wait, the, f- the legions that she sent were like, peace, and went to yeah, Cassius? they were intercepted by Cassius first, and pretty much when he boarded them, they, they didn't put up, they, they didn't want to fight. Got it. With soldiers. Got so it. they were like, no, we'll, we'll go with you, it's fine. Sure, sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is the first mishap due to sheer dumb luck that will come back to bite Cleopatra in the bum later. She wasn't done, though. <laughs> Cleopatra attempted to put a second fleet together to aid Dolabella. Um, so the thing you also need to know about Egypt is it has a very strong navy. Um, yeah. The shipwrights are known for putting together ships very, very quickly. 
Yes. So that that is part of her power is her navy. Oh, okay. Before, Unfortunately. Before you move on. Oh. <laughs> I have the answers to my own question. Each legion had between 4,000 and 6,000 soldiers. Ah, there you go. Oh, sweet. Sorry. I just really <laughs> need good. to know that. <laughs> so unfortunately, despite the fact that she put the second fleet together, her military commander over in Cyprus ends up betraying her and gives the fleet to Cassius. See, this is the problem. It doesn't matter how big your fleet is or how big your army is. You still have to trust people, and they're the most untrustworthy yes. things on this planet. <laughs> he will get his in the end. Good. I promise. <laughs> By this point, Cassius has enough ships to overtake his enemy, and Dolabella ends up killing himself. Whoa. This is when Mark Antony and Octavian entered the picture. After Dolabella dies... This is dies, when they entered the picture? I mean, at <laughs> this point, they kind of trust Dolabella to do what he needed to do, and oh. I would imagine they figured Cleopatra would help him. Mm-hmm. So right now, Cleopatra's looking very bad optics wise because they don't know what's going on oh yeah i was gonna say she didn't send them to the other guy <laughs> it's about to get worse um, no. so after dolabella dies antony and octavian set off to take down cassius themselves and perhaps because cleopatra has already experienced the ineptitude of her naval commanders and the betrayal of her military commander in cyprus she decides to lead the fleet herself and sets off across the mediterranean towards greece with the intent to add her fleet to antony and octavian's yeah. Unfortunately, the gods had other plans in mind, because a storm swept in to blow her off course and damage her fleet. So she ends up basically having to turn tail and head back to Alexandria. Yeah. God damn it. I tried! She very much wanted to take part in this vengeance scheme, though, and it Uh just, she wasn't able to. Oh boy. It was a good thing Antony and Octavian decided to move against Cassius. Before they decided to take action, Cassius had turned his sights on what he believed to be a weakened Egypt, and the possibility for revenge against his late enemy's former mistress. Cleopatra had been staring down the possibility of a Roman invasion before Antony and Octavian entered the picture. Fortunately for Cleopatra, they will end up defeating Cassius and Brutus's forces at the Battle of Philippi. Cassius ends up committing suicide using the same dagger he used against Caesar on himself. poetic. Brutus has an even more poetic death. After his forces were defeated, Brutus retreated to the nearby hills with what remained of his army and committed suicide by falling on his sword. There are two different accounts of what happened to his remains at this point. According to the contemporary reports from the battlefield, Mark Antony draped a purple cape over Brutus's dead body as a sign of respect. Um, if you'll remember from the last episode, we didn't go into detail, but Brutus had been Caesar's friend yeah. back in the day. Well, yeah, and that's why he was so stunned that it was Brutus. <laughs> According to our crazy history uncle Suetonius, Octavian had other ideas, and he ends up cutting off Brutus's head yeah. and displays it before a statue of Caesar. Who did this? Octavian. Yeah, dude, chill. He'll end up throwing it overboard a ship, and now it is allegedly somewhere at the bottom of the Adriatic Sea. No, it is eaten. It's gone. <laughs> it is deteriorated. You mean it's It is not... no more. Some poor is human it... probably swallowed it when they were swimming in the ocean. <laughs> is it not perfectly preserved? <laughs> no, I don't think that's... After, no. like, 2,000 years, no, I don't think we can't go find it? No. Darn, that was my plan for the 4th of July, oh. to go find Brutus's head. Do you know how to scuba dive? <laughs> no. I really want to learn. I really want to get certified. But anyway, that's beside the point. Following the conclusion of the war, the triumvirate officially settles down in Rome, and they immediately call for Cleopatra. What? She has some explaining to do. (laughs) 
So initially, Cleopatra had done the smart, if cautious thing at the beginning of the war when her aid was called upon. She waited to see which way the wind would blow. Her inaction would have been the least of it if the fleet she had sent to assist Dolabella had not fallen into Cassius's hands. Yes. Not to mention the fleet out of Cyprus that had also curiously defected to Cassius. Yeah, but that's not her fault. They don't know that. I know. (laughs) Bet they're not going to listen when she says it either. Now that Cassius was dead and designated a traitor, Rome wanted to know why the Egyptian queen had been so shifty. How the fuck up, that's why. (laughs) And they wanted her to answer for her actions, or rather, lack thereof. And so Mark Antony sends the ill-prepared Quintus Delius to Cleopatra in Egypt to oh, solicit no. an explanation for her inaction during the Civil War. Cleopatra's like this green motherfucker. <laughs> he observed almost immediately that he was woefully out of his league. Cleopatra notoriously wordsmith and charmed him right under the table, having a quick answer for any accusation thrown her way. I like to just imagine her sitting on her throne with like her arms. Like probably yes. just casually resting and like what are she's you got doing like her here? legs up on one yeah. one <laughs> arm and then her other arm just like holding her head up on the other. <laughs> I can see it. Rome believed Cleopatra to be complacent and easily brought to heel. Caesar had them all believing she was the obedient mistress with an area word to spare when she was told what to do. Perhaps he had been killed before he could truly get to know her, or perhaps Caesar deliberately downplayed her tenacity for the sake of his own reputation. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be like, she's better than me everybody. <laughs> so, basically, Delius met with a queen who would not be easily cowed, and so he quickly changed tactics. He's like, you guys, she's not, like, like <laughs> civil and nice, and I don't know what's going on. I've never met a woman like this. <laughs> Delius switched to blatant flattery and suggested that Cleopatra seek Mark Antony out. She would find no greater friend than Antony in Rome. <laughs> she's like, should I get my rock? <laughs> she had. She doesn't need a rug at this point. I know. I just She's love the rug. Much. I love the idea of the rug. <laughs> oh, you're gonna love this next part. Then. Oh, yes, okay. <laughs> Does had, it one up the rug? Yes. Yes. <laughs> she had nothing to worry about if she only honestly pled her case. By this point, she's like, I don't have to plead shit. <laughs> by this point, the Roman Empire has been split nearly in half by Mark Antony and Octavian, with Uh-oh. Mark Antony controlling the east and Octavian the west. <laughs> So requests from Mark Antony's camp continued to arrive, but Cleopatra stalled. She basically just lets the the summons pile up in a corner. That's an awkward pile of shit that I don't care about. (laughs) Yeah, she's basically waiting on the right timing to meet for her. Good girl. (laughs) Although she was unaware that Mark Antony had been harboring a creepy crush on her ever since... She was 14, you remember? He oh, was, God, I forgot. <laughs> he was in the cavalry that assisted her father in retaking his kingdom. Yep. I'm really in lusty lust with that 14-year-old. <laughs> so she didn't know about that, but she did know of his reputation, and she also knew how precarious her situation was. Now, the Roman historians would have us believe that Cleopatra was playing a deliberate game of cat and mouse. Following his victory at the Battle of Philippi in Greece, Mark Antony had soared to new celebrity heights. Every country he entered had people practically tripping over themselves to win the favor of Caesar's Avenger, or so historians like Plutarch would have us believe. He recalls one specific instance where Mark Antony entered the city of Ephesus and was greeted by women dressed as mayonids and men dressed as satyrs in the style of priests and followers of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine, festivity, and ecstasy. 
It's that's one of those potato potato, and I will fight you on that one. Uh, I'll throw my potato at you. <laughs> <laughs> throw my potato at you. <laughs> Basically, Dionysus is the patron saint of party boys, which is exactly what Mark Antony was. If Cleopatra had any chance of getting a leg up on Mark Antony, she would have to create a bigger spectacle than even he did. But who are we kidding ourselves here? This is Cleopatra. She's getting really impressive. <laughs> Pageantry and theatrics were practically her two middle names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when she finally decides to make the 700-mile trip from Alexandria to the oasis city of Tarsus God, in south-central Turkey, she gets to do so in style. It's not that bad. She 700 gets, miles, though. She's on the Mediterranean, which is notorious for its beautiful views and beautiful weather. Seven hundred yes. miles. Yes. <laughs> Listen, they don't have bullet trains. I can okay? barely travel three hundred miles in a car before I'm just like, fuck this. Her ship boasted purple sails, the color of royalty for which there was no denying she was. The oars were all made of silver. Oh god. A full-blown orchestra was aboard her ship, Are consisting of me? flutes, pipes, and lyres, to announce the Queen of Egypt long before she even touched the shore. God. Cleopatra herself lounged casually beneath a golden canopy dressed as the goddess Venus. Boys dressed as cupids and girls dressed as nymphs flanked the canopy while fanning her. Can you imagine being just a holy peasant on the shore and being like, what in the actual So they fuck loved it. This this was their entertainment. I mean, yeah. So <laughs> people literally flocked to the oh shore when they God. heard she was coming just to watch her sail by. Wow. <laughs> And then the whole time, there's this very heavy smell of incense just hanging in the air, consisting of all the perfumes that had made Alexandria famous. As word spread along the Mediterranean that the Queen of Egypt was en route to Mark Antony, people began to show up in droves just to catch a glimpse of her. When she finally arrived in Tarsus, the entire city emptied as its citizens flocked to to greet Cleopatra. Mark Antony had summoned the Queen of Egypt to treat with him. But when she arrived, he found himself completely alone in a marketplace until a messenger arrived for him. <laughs> Mark Antony was informed that Venus had arrived. Oh, come on. And Cleopatra was summoning him to her. Yes. <laughs> so when the two finally met face to face, Mark Antony immediately invited Cleopatra to dinner. She declined, claiming that she outranked him and that <laughs> if anyone would be summoning anyone to dinner... It would be her. Yes, queen! <laughs> and so that's exactly what Cleopatra did, and much to the chagrin of every Roman historian, Antony accepted. So Plutarch said of this moment that Mark Antony was happy to oblige at once, and wishing to display his complaints, his complacency and friendly feelings, Antony obeyed and went. It was unheard of. Yeah, because he's still lusting after her, but conveniently she's not 14 anymore. Well, more than that, women did not order men around. <laughs> men did not defer to women and if cicero had not already been brutally murdered at this point wait what he would no doubt have vomited all over himself uh, yeah so <laughs> you can't just come out and be like cicero's dead <laughs> so when they were killing all of caesar's conspirators they hunted cicero down as well well he wasn't even invited to the party no but i mean he probably was really excited he's like i'm involved <laughs> he's still around causing a ruckus okay. um basically his head and his hands were both brutally sawed off. His tongue was ripped out and stuck with a hairpin by Mark Antony's wife, Fulvia. That's very aggressive. Yes. 
God, he wasn't even involved. <laughs> but Cicero I mean, was, was very aggressive with his words, and that was what the hairpin through the tongue was for. This I is, like it. Very symbolic. This is what happens when you run your mouth yeah. in Rome. <laughs> when you run your mouth against the rock. Cleopatra reserved 12 banquet halls for the dinner she put on for Mark Antony. The rooms were covered in tapestries and tableware set with expensive gemstones of amethyst, garnet, is it lapis? Lapis? Lapis. Lapis. Lapis, topaz, and pearls all decorated the banquet halls. When Cleopatra invited him to dine with her, she suggested that every tapestry and gem-studded piece of dinnerware were gifts for him and his friends. Some of his Sorry. friends even made off with a couch as a party favor. What? You can't take a couch! <laughs> this is this is what she was known for. She would throw her parties and she would tell all of her guests, this is all for you. Take what you want. That's kind of cool. Right? Like, I'd take everything. <laughs> I, somebody wanted a couch, so they took it. <laughs> I need a new couch. Cleopatra, come back to life. Throw a party. <laughs> I want your chase. <laughs> Of the conversation that was had between the two, little was recorded save for one historian named Apian. Gifts or no gifts, charmed or not, Mark Antony had summoned Cleopatra for one reason, and that was to answer for her actions during the Civil War. Predictably, Cleopatra demonstrated the forwardness and grit she had been she had come to be known for. She did not apologize, nor would she be chastised. She presented her case plainly. She had attempted to help Antony and Octavian. She intended to deliver her fleet to Dolabella, but Cassius intercepted them. And then she herself led her fleet up the Mediterranean to rendezvous with Antony and Octavian in Greece, only to be driven back by a storm. Goddess or not, she did not control the weather. (laughs) Cleopatra would only end up staying in Tarsus a few weeks. Whatever other words were exchanged between the two, Cleopatra had emerged the victor. Almost every historian of the time agrees on one thing. Mark Antony was utterly besotted with her. Apian forever immortalized the infatuation by saying, the moment he saw her, Antony lost his head to her like a young man, although he was 40 years old. I mean, I'm in love with her. Right? I've never even met her. I want, she gives away couches. Yes, that's love. She loves books and she builds libraries and, and she, she gives away couches. she jars of the Nile River. Also that. <laughs> Most of the sources suggest Cleopatra had Mark Antony completely under her thumb. While the one was in love, the other had schemed to see the other fall. Cleopatra becomes the scandalous seductress from here on out in the story, some going so far as to say she drugged Mark Antony to keep him ensnared. She drugged him? Yeah, like used drugs, just tied him with drugs and alcohol to keep him. I mean, I think he does that himself. (laughs) Right? There's a a lot of, she gets blamed for a lot of stuff that men were already doing. She's like, what the fuck, guys? He's taking these himself. (laughs) Others will claim it was blatant sorcery. There is the occasional <laughs> wayward historian that suggests Antony's infatuation was short-lived and that he considered her as nothing more than another sexual conquest. But Apian's version of events is what survives history. I love how you say it's sorcery, and I'm like, the Romans believe that womenly wiles is sorcery. So yeah, yeah it's sorcery. Yeah. You dumb fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Antony and Cleopatra will go on to become one of the most well-known historical romances of all time. I think we can safely assume Cleopatra was more than just another notch on the bedpost for Antony. They'll go on to have three kids together, but oh, they'll wow. also doom one another. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know they had three kids together. Mm-hmm. Shit. There were very practical reasons on both sides for one to seduce the other. For Cleopatra, it should be obvious. She needed an ally in Rome to ensure the continued independence of Egypt. 
Mark Antony would have made an easy mark even if he hadn't allegedly fallen in love with her all those years ago. His weakness for women was notorious. His weakness for strong women, and she is the strongest mm-hmm. of them all. <laughs> that stems from his mother. She's apparently also like a ball buster. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love how many women in Rome were like this, but like also everyone hated that. Like the, yeah. the males hated that, but yeah. there was a lot. There were a lot of women that were like that. Yeah, there were quite a bit. I'm they're just like, all relegated. So clearly, you guys are stupid. They're all and just, obviously they're relegated to history as yeah. villains, basically. <laughs> it's just funny. I'm like you guys. Antony also had ulterior motives. Just as Caesar and Marcus Crassus and Alexander the Great had turned their sights on Parthia to find glory and fame, so too did Mark Antony get the itch. He may have garnered acclaim and admiration for having avenged the death of Caesar, but he had yet to make his name as a successful military commander. Antony wanted Parthia to be for him what Gaul had been for Caesar. You remember Parthia? Yeah, I remember the Gaul thing, too. I'm like, um, didn't a lot of people fall because of Parthia, too? Yeah. Yeah. They're constantly at war with one another. Yeah, everyone tries to go to Parthia and no no one ever succeeds. Parthia's just like, oh, again? Okay. (laughs) Mark Antony was going to need Cleopatra and her money to do this. By the time Cleopatra left Antony and Tarsus, it was clear she secured an alliance. Mark Antony's first act was to have Arsinoe killed in the city of Ephesus. Oh, wow. Where she had previously been exiled by Caesar. She's killed on the steps of the temple of Artemis. Why? Cleopatra can't have a red lorning around, and Mark Antony... I mean, she seemed like she wasn't a threat at the time. She was. She's still the entire time, like, gathering support. She's never just sitting still. Why? You know that's going to spell death for you. Because these are Ptolemy women. You can only have one cat. Well, clearly you're not the one who died. <laughs> Steps. The Temple of Artemis. Temple of Artemis? Is that what they say, right? Yeah, Temple right. of Artemis. Um, and Rome wasn't happy about that. That's very blasphemous to kill somebody on, like, the steps of a sacred Okay, temple. Rome, you kill people by, in the droves, but God forbid someone else kill someone it was on a the woman steps of your too. goddamn temple. It was a woman. Tell that to the billions of Irish women and <laughs> yeah, but children. Not in Ireland. I don't care. Oh, you're you're talking, yeah. Yeah, yeah what they did in Gaul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but those aren't, uh, I don't know. I know, there's always some excuse. <laughs> With Arsinoe out of the way, Cleopatra had no more pesky siblings to worry about usurping her throne. Jesus Christ. Antony also rooted out the Ptolemy the 13th pretender that had been running around in Egypt and had him executed. And then the naval commander on the island of Cyprus that had turned Cleopatra's fleet over to Cassius was also assassinated. So it took this long to assassinate that guy? I mean, this long is still like a matter of months. Uh, like six still. months, maybe. It, it doesn't look good if you just go out and kill your naval commander. So like, it's much better if Rome does it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Once all of Cleopatra's enemies were rooted out and disposed of, Mark Antony traveled to Egypt to visit Cleopatra all at a time when many of his eastern provinces were in disorder and chaos. It wasn't a great look. Just as Caesar's cruise along the Nile had been painted as a pleasure cruise designed to distract the Roman general, so too does the speculation run amok with Mark Antony. At this point, he is clearly under the spell of the Egyptian queen, besotted and beguiled with the promise of decadence and sexually charged distraction. But unlike Caesar, who had a genuine interest in culture and architecture, Mark Antony had very little interest in getting to know anything about Egyptian culture 
outside of abandoning his Roman toga for simpler Alexandrian dress attire. From the sources, we hear that Antony was mostly there to drink, party, and generally have a good time. Antony was notorious for securing any number of ridiculous theatrics for his own entertainment. When he wasn't hunting or gambling, he was hiring acrobats and musicians to tumble and play music for him. For her part, Cleopatra made herself readily available to his beck and call to ensure that whatever he required, he would have at hand. She would hunt with him, play dice with him, and accompanied him on every little whim that carried him from temple to theater to tavern like any good host would. I can just see her rolling her eyes every time he like says he's going to go do something. She's just like, yes, fucker. <laughs> and she did it all on top of her normal duties, which included, you know, running a, a kingdom. kingdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. For what it's worth, the Alexandrians found Mark Antony to be much more to their liking than Caesar had ever been. He was far more jovial, and he may not have been he may not have had the sharpest of wit, but he was still remarkably charming. The Alexandrians also remembered that he had intervened on the behalf of the soldiers that had initially fought against Cleopatra's father. He would have had them all executed had Antony not stepped in. Jeez. Mostly, though, he deigned to walk among the commons, play dice among the commons, and drink among the commons. What Antony lacked in political aptitude, he more than made up for with general agreeableness. He was, to put it simply, a fun dude to be around. <laughs> At least so long as legitimate political matters were not involved. Like your job? <laughs> so, basically, Antony has the makings of being a great man. It's not that he lacked the persuasive charm or the ambition. He had grand ideas, but he lacked the discipline to carry them through. You and me both. <laughs> grand ideas are nice and all, but they mean very little if you aren't willing to put in the work. Yeah. That's that's Antony in a nutshell. Yeah. So fun dude or not, Cleopatra was not a woman to indulge in such blatant displays of schoolboy revelry for too long. She was an ambitious woman that did not shy away from encouraging other people's ambitions as well. A true queen would not settle for a drunken party boy. Yeah, no. He'd have to elevate himself if he hoped to keep in step with her. All the fun and games finally came to an end when real life caught up with Mark Antony. I just love that he's in his 40s and still doing this. Yes. <laughs> this is why, like, by 25, if they haven't changed, their brains develop. Like, yeah. it's science. <laughs> yeah. It's science, guys. <laughs> so, basically, in the East, Parthia has advanced on Syria, which at, the, at this time was a Roman province. And they go so far as to kill the puppet governor that Mark Antony had propped up in that country. So Parthia's like, you've done this attacking thing yes. too many times. And they they now constantly. We're gonna... <laughs> there's there's a couple of like buffer nations that will go back and forth. Those poor nations are like, yes. right? Yeah, and they're still experiencing that today. We're not a war rope. Like we're just, we just want to be here and hang out. Almost at the same time comes the disastrous word from Rome. It turns out that Mark Antony's wife was growing impatient with his little pleasure trip to Egypt because now Fulvia has declared all-out war against Octavian back in Rome. He's like, I'm sorry, babe, what'd you do? Allegedly to get Mark Antony's attention. Yeah, that would that would do it. Unfortunately, no. it backfired against her, and now she has run away to Greece. God damn it. Now, for what it's worth, Antony largely left Fulvia to her own devices. He was not unaware of the situation with Octavian. It has been suggested that he lingered behind in Egypt in part because he was hesitant to challenge Fulvia. At this point in time, 
Mark Antony was not willing to renege on the alliance he had made with Octavian. He didn't want to have to choose. Yeah. Because he knows what that freaking draws in and the bullshit that follows. Yeah. Antony also did not want to make an enemy of Octavian, so his preferred choice of action was inaction. That is, until Fulvia got a little too in over her head and forced Antony's hand. Long story short, when he finally makes it to Greece to deal with his wife, he sticks around long enough to scold her, and then he leaves again. What the fuck, dude? Fulvia later gets sick, and Antony refuses to visit her. <gasps> and then she dies, likely from depression over her husband's neglect, some going so far as to suggest that Fulvia took her own life. Oh, wow. Antony will go on to later lament the neglect of his wife. Ballbuster though she may have been, Fulvia had been loyal and devoted. Marrying her brought him wealth and power, and it is likely he would not have made it as far as he had at this point, if not for her influence. Antony and Octavian reconciled shortly thereafter. With Fulvia out of the way, this basically eliminated the tension that had been hanging between them. Wow. <laughs> and then they cemented their new alliance with yet another... No. Don't. Yes. You dare. Yep. How old is she? Four? So... <laughs> Octavian's half-sister, Octavia. Stop it. I actually really like that name, but stop <laughs> it. <laughs> she's she's not four. She's actually in her late 20s. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she just happened to also be recently widowed. And so had Antony. Was it like an aggressively convenient recent widowing? Like, that's weird. He just died. I I, I think it was one of those, but not quite like Agrippina style. He just, yeah. Yeah. It was convenient. It worked out. Yeah. Um, you know, it was perfect. The stars had all aligned to see this joyous union happen. Yeah, the stars aligned with poison. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with marrying a beloved sister to a notorious Lothario who had a well-known penchant for a certain vivacious and beguiling Egyptian queen? Should we talk about the wife that just killed herself because he was negligent? <laughs> Octavia was the yin to Cleopatra's yang. She was a dutiful, graceful, and beautiful woman. The sort of woman that misogynistic Roman men loved and revered. She was content to be relegated to the domestic sphere and did not harbor any political ambitions for herself. Octavia was the kind of woman you praised in large part because she did what she was told. Ugh. Bonus points for never having to actually see her in public. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was in public, but yeah. it was always in the correct role. Yeah. Cleopatra. I mean, she was smart if you think about it, because she's like, I'm watching all these women die because they She's also they got Octavian's sister, so yeah. you're not gonna, well, you shouldn't fuck with her. I mean. <laughs> Cleopatra would not have favored a renewed alliance between Octavian and Antony. Octavian will forever be a rival to Caesarian's position in the world. But she was not worried. Newly married again or not, she knew he would be back. Antony was a predictable man. His responsibilities in the East and his never-ending quest for glory would always bring him back to Alexandria. Egypt was his cash cow. Cleopatra was its gatekeeper. Oh, yeah. And she was about to give birth to two of Mark Antony's children as well. Like twins? The twins oh. <laughs> were named Alexander Helios and Cleopatra Selene. The nomenclature had been deliberate. In her and Antony's son, Cleopatra had birthed an heir intended to take after Alexander the Great and represent the son. Cleopatra Selene had been named for another Cleopatra other than herself, her great aunt, who was known as yet another really powerful Cleopatra. She was also seen as the living personification of the moon. Ooh. 
It would be some time before the twins would meet their father. Antony was busy setting things to rights in Rome, battling famine and a city that had grown unruly again in his absence, as it's been wont to do. The marriage to Octavia did its job for a time as well, and the alliance between Antony and Octavian was celebrated all throughout Rome. Finally, there was peace. Rome's two beloved sons were finally of one mind, and for a time, the empire prospered thanks to their professional union. Octavia even gives birth to two daughters by Antony who are known to history as Antonia Major and Antonia Minor. Get the fuck out. Like, what? <laughs> What's wrong with naming both your children the same name? I don't know. I guess it's easy when you have to yell at one, you just yell at both. Antonia! Antonia! <laughs> but the alliance is always on eggshells. Antony was too proud and guileless, while Octavian too bratty and notoriously lacking in charm. They tolerated one another mostly, while secretly whispering their grievances of one another just out of earshot. At one point, when famine hits Rome again and an angry mob attacks Octavian, Antony will literally have to swoop into his rescue and whisk him off to safety. They're literally like an old married couple. (laughs) (laughs) This event only contributes to Antony's scorn of Octavian. For the next couple of years, Cleopatra waited patiently. Rome went through its ebbs and flows of peace, then famine and rebellion, and peace again, while Egypt continued to flourish. We know she had eyes in Antony's camp. His movements were always tracked. She even had one of her astrologers installed as an advisor for Antony. Every time Antony asked the astrologer to read his fate in the stars and the planets above, He was told that Octavian would always eclipse his achievements, and he was better off keeping as much distance between himself and Octavian as he could. So you don't listen to other (laughs) humans. I don't care what they are or what stars they're listening to. Go back to Egypt. (coughs) (laughs) Go back to Egypt. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, Cleopatra was very clever. When this story gets... He's like, do you have a... Are you okay? (laughs) When this story gets told... It usually suggests that Antony had spent almost all of his time in Alexandria exclusively with Cleopatra. Octavian becomes enraged and insulted once Antony completely abandons his wife and their children to join Cleopatra in Egypt. I'm sorry, but who in the fuck is surprised? He does eventually do this, just not right away. No, just all you need to know is if you watch any movie about this, that's like the only thing people focus on. Oh, he abandoned my sister. But there's so much more animosity going on between them. People conveniently leave out the fact that Octavian continuously undermined Antony at every opportunity he got. There are stories of Octavian summoning Antony from one of his sojourns in the east to meet him out west, only to stand Antony up and never show. Eventually, the alliance just sort of breaks. More than likely, Antony had had enough of his brother-in-law's meddling. As we know, history is written by the victors. And I think most of you already know how this story ends. Mark Antony is not the hero of this story, but he's not the villain either. Plutarch and the other Roman historians told his fate as though a tragedy. And every good tragedy needs a good villain. It has to be an interesting villain. We can't blame the character of a man. That's no fun. And so Cleopatra became the scapegoat. She was the evil seductress that lured Antony away from his loving wife and the people of Rome. Cleopatra's like, I just sat here. Antony just could not help himself. He was a man, after all. 
Oh, I want to throttle something. <laughs> Jesus. He was a man after all. God. <laughs> Octavian and Octavia did their best to keep Mark Antony from chasing glory in Syria. One day he decided enough was enough and left. Octavia and their children traveled as far as eastern Greece and then he left her behind. Oh, shit. Octavia is pregnant with their third child at this point. Um, he basically told her, like, you're pregnant, it's not safe for you to travel, but also, like, he was just done with her. Yeah. It'll be the last time Mark Antony sees Octavia ever again. Oh, wow. Once Antony reached the city of Antioch in Syria, he summoned Cleopatra to join him. This is also the city that Eleanor of Aquitaine supposedly had her incestual relationship with her uncle. Oh, yeah. I remember when she and <laughs> King Louis were leading the Second Crusade. Um, so maybe there's something in the air in Antioch. Who knows? Sure, yeah. <laughs> the first time Cleopatra met Antony, she did so with a show of pageantry and theater. Of course she did. <laughs> this time was different. She was a queen on her way to war. Make no mistake, Mark Antony might have had the legions of Rome at his back, but he would get nowhere without her money and power and yes. people. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> this was not a meeting of equals. This was a powerful Eastern queen come to assist Rome in its conquest of Parthia. Come she would have assist Rome's <laughs> philandering little boy. <laughs> she would have wanted to reap the rewards herself. When they reunite, it'll be the first time in three and a half years. She also has true. She also has two trump cards up her sleeve. Cleopatra has brought the twins with her. Mark Antony immediately recognized them as his own. Oh, I was like, does he know they're his? Did she lay him at the, them at his feet? That's what I like to imagine. They're like toddlers at this point, so I'm sure he was like, oh! In carpet. <laughs> <laughs> he then proceeded to bestow upon Cleopatra a number of gifts. He officially recognized her as the ruler of Cyprus, something her father had been denied, and then he granted her additional territory for Egypt that included what is now modern-day Lebanon, parts of modern-day Libya, parts of the eastern coastline of Turkey, as well as the Greek island of Crete. Nice. This is roughly... She has a map! What was... This is what the Ptolemy Kingdom looks like now. The dark, the dark brown? The dark, or, 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 the dark, dark green. green. Brown, yeah. green. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love how... He left Octavia, and then you're like, and then he met Cleopatra. Well, now we know why he left Octavia, <laughs> where he left her. He's like, yeah, just stay here for a minute. You know, rest. You're pregnant. I'm going to go and meet with Cleopatra. Bye! Meet with my mistress, <laughs> yes. All territories that were granted to Cleopatra were rich in natural resources, and all would have brought more wealth to Egypt. This was deliberate. Antony had the land forces, but Cleopatra was known for her navy. And she had an aptitude for building ships and building them quickly. Many of the territories donated to Alexandria were rich in timber, and Mark Antony was going to need some ships. <laughs> this gift returned the Ptolemaic Empire to its previous third century glory, and Cleopatra used it to officially rename herself. She henceforth becomes known as Queen Cleopatra, the goddess, the younger, father loving, and fatherland loving. She was not just a queen anymore. Egypt, at last, has a pharaoh once again. Oh, nice. Mark Antony added another title, all dependent on his success in the East. If he conquers Parthia, Cleopatra will be named as Empress of the East. Nice. And it's in Antioch that they rekindled their romance. All sources report that the client kings of the eastern cities and provinces were quick to remark 
that Antony was completely and utterly in love with her at this point. Not long after, she is pregnant again with a third child by Mark she Antony. She's really fertile. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. She's the goddess of like fertility. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, it's, it's all that Nile <laughs> River, you know. I don't think it's that. I think she just has really nice eggs. <laughs> she has childbearing hips. A very nice, <laughs> hospitable body. <laughs> She has nice hips. <laughs> She's got a nice womb. <laughs> By this point, Antony sets off to take on Parthia, and Cleopatra returns home. On her way, she makes a little stop in the city of Jerusalem to hang with her frenemy, King Herod, the Roman-installed client king of Judea. This is the same Herod that allegedly ordered the massacre of the innocents in the Bible around the birth of Jesus. Oh, cool. So he's a good guy. He's a great, great guy. guy. He's great guy. a totally great guy. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> This wasn't a pleasure stop. It was a business trip, as Cleopatra had come to collect on more promises Antony had granted her. Among some of the resources boasted by Judea were basalm flowers that were used to make perfumes and fragrances, and Jericho dates that were used to create expensive wines. Cleopatra made out like a bandit with the deal struck, leaving Herod even more unpopular in a country that was already poor. He's basically in this country because Rome wants him there. Oh, okay. And so he no had one to, else wants him there. No, and he had to murder, like, a lot of people in his wife's family to secure his throne. He's not great. He's not great. It gets worse. Great. Cleopatra was a notoriously ruthless negotiator and haggler. As we already know, her deaf linguistic tongue meant she often negotiated entirely for herself. Herod very much ended up with the short end of the stick when all was said and done. And he was not happy that he had been hoodwinked by a woman, and so he retaliates by claiming Cleopatra made lewd advances towards him and even attempted to sexually assault him. Bitch, please. Oh my god. There's no evidence to suggest this ever happened, and even contemporary sources from Herod's court suggest it was just a desperate ploy of a man that simply could not accept the a fact man that- whose ego is completely broken and shattered and in pieces in the mud. Nicely said. Thank you. <laughs> I can just, I can just imagine like someone being in a negotiation with Cleopatra, and then like she just like does her word magic, and then the, the guy's yeah. just like, what? Uh, huh? she's she's known for being just notoriously ruthless yeah. during every negotiation. I can just imagine them being like all of a sudden like, what the fuck just happened? She <laughs> very rarely didn't get her way. That's we'll just say that. I wish I had that skill. It didn't help that Cleopatra is pretty much the most powerful ruler of the eastern provinces at this point, and she's a woman to boot. His council was said to have actively dissuaded him from trying to assassinate, it, assassinate her while she's in Jerusalem. Oh my god, dude, just take the hit and sit down. <laughs> yeah, they were basically like, hey, Mark Antony has his legions in this city in part to yeah. keep you in place. Do you really think he's just gonna sit by if you kill her? Yeah, dude, why don't you just chill? <laughs> And he also didn't take into account that she also had her own bodyguards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I bet Cleopatra would be like, drink this wine. I like to think, That has right? poison in I it. I like to think she just kind of laughed. Oh, yeah. She's probably, like, behind all of her advisors, just, like, giving him the, like, nastiest, like, smirk ever. Yeah. And just, like... <laughs> Not long after, Herod escorted Cleopatra out of Judea and bid her and her swelling pregnant belly good wishes along with several gifts while he waved her off with his tail tucked between oh, his legs. Yeah, that would have fucking sucked if he had assassinated her while he was pregnant with Mark Antony's child. Yeah. Talk That's why everyone was like... Everyone's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. 
Not long after, she gives birth to her fourth child named... No, don't. I can't. I just... Every time. Go ahead. Ptolemy Philadelphus. Excuse me? Uh-huh. Another Philadelphus? I'm yeah. still... I'm stuck on Philadelphus. Like, Ptolemy, <laughs> I'm past. No, I'm not. That's ridiculous. But... Philadelphus? <laughs> or Philadelphus, yeah. Philadelphus. Oh, in, my God. In 36 BCE... Um, wouldn't that remind you of your husbands that you killed? Like, I just Ptolemy. They only have five names. We've talked about this before. (laughs) So, while all of this is going on, like Mark Antony is doing his thing in Parthia, but in in 36 BCE, Cleopatra receives an urgent summons from Mark Antony in what is modern-day Beirut. Uh Uh-oh. It had only been a couple of months since he had ventured off to chase glory. As far as anyone knew, Antony's adventuring was a success because he kept sending messengers to Rome to boast of it. Please tell me he sent a messenger to Cleopatra and was like, fucking help! (laughs) But suddenly, Antony was requesting gold, supplies, and clothing for his men, and he requested Cleopatra bring all of these things immediately. (laughs) Evidently, the campaign wasn't going well after all. The sources from this time, namely Plutarch and Cassius Dio, tell us that Cleopatra deliberately stalled before setting sail, which of course aggrieved poor, distressed Mark Antony. They never take into account that in order for Cleopatra to deliver on all the things requested of her, she's gotta gather them up first. Exactly. She has to collect the necessary money to purchase said supplies and then get her fleet together. Also, honey, she's coming to save your ass, be grateful. Right? Because apparently you can't run a successful campaign on your own. (laughs) She does eventually deliver, putting the Egyptian fleet together once more to travel over a thousand miles upon the Mediterranean and bring deliverance to Mark Antony's Roman legions. And she organized this all while having given birth only a few months before. Oh my god, she is a goddess. (laughs) I would be so annoyed if I were her. Seriously! I have to clean up your messes again. Well, that's what I'm saying. She probably just rolls her eyes every time Mark (laughs) Antony reaches out. She's like, this motherfucker cannot do anything on his own. (laughs) When Cleopatra arrived at Mark Antony's camp, his soldiers were in a disastrous state. The adventure into Parthia went about as well as you can expect from a military general lacking for tact and sound strategy. The Parthians demoralized his campaign, engaging the Romans in guerrilla warfare they were ill-suited for. It got so bad that the Roman legions were forced to flee with their tails between their legs, abandoning siege and equipment as they went and gorging themselves in whatever fauna they could find just to survive. Wow. Many of them had eaten poisonous plants and Uh were now sick with... Dysentery. Dysentery! Of course! Hey, look, Mm -hmm. our third co-host has made an appearance. Hello, Anya. Hi, buddy! You gonna talk? Have you deigned to grace us with your presence? Yes. She just woke up. So I can tell. She's got the sleepy <laughs> eyes. Anya. Oh, yeah. And on top of all of this, it's winter. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the retreat, Mark Antony has lost 24,000 men. Holy shit. Plutarch blamed Cleopatra for the disaster, suggesting that Antony's desire to reunite with her before winter caused him to rush his campaign. I'm sorry, he's still the one who did the action, correct? Yeah. Are we all on the same picture? Yeah, but... I know. Nothing is Men ever can do no wrong. Fault. It's always the woman attached to him, even though the woman's like, this fucking bitch. The woman's <laughs> thousands of miles away. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, when Cleopatra's ships appeared on the shore of Syria, she once again embodied the role of the goddess Isis, distributing food, supplies, and gold to the impoverished and battered Roman legions. 
Had she not shown up, it's likely many more would have died. I'm sure she's just like grumbling under her breath the entire time. Like, fucking Morgan. Well, <laughs> we're gonna find out about her state in just a second. Uh-oh. Now, Mark Antony's wife also attempted to come to his rescue. As she was Octavian's Octavia? sister. Yeah. Little, little innocent, meek Octavia. <laughs> Help oh. comes with a double-edged sword oh. and a good deal of politicking if it comes from Octavia. Um, nobody actually cared about Antony's plight or the plight of his men. No. Octavian had made out well on the other side of the Roman Empire where Antony had failed. With his sister, he was sending 2,000 hand-picked members of the elite Roman legions. But in return, Octavian required 18,000 members of the legions that remained to Antony. If Antony accepted, he could count on more clothing, food, supplies, and horses for his men. But he would be giving up a good chunk of his men in the process. See the three that are left? (laughs) It was a no-win situation. If he accepted the aid his wife offered, he would forfeit a huge chunk of his already depleted army. To deny the aid Octavian offered through Octavia would have been to publicly insult Octavia and by proxy Octavian as well. And this is exactly what Antony ends up doing. Oh no. Now Plutarch suggests that the dismissal was all thanks to Cleopatra's intervention. Plutonius, whatever your name is. (laughs) (laughs) Having consistently been written about as strictly using Mark Antony for her own nefarious reasons and never actually developing any genuine feelings for him, Cleopatra is now curiously described as throwing fits out of fear for losing Mark Antony to his beautiful wife. Rachel, narratives change as long as someone changes them, okay? It's fine. It's not it's not weird. It's not incongruous. There are no inconsistencies. There are no inconsistencies here. (laughs) Cleopatra even goes so far as to orchestrate her own hunger strikes in the stories. And so Cleopatra's like, fuck off, I would never do that for this bitch. (laughs) And so the folly of a man's failed ambitions are once again relegated to that of a cat fight between a wife and a mistress. Whatever theatrical performance Cleopatra is said to have put on apparently worked. We know she didn't do anything half-hearted. And even Antony's men were said to have scolded him for not being more grateful to a woman that was so clearly devoted to him. When Cleopatra initially found Mark Antony, he was a drunken mess. After arriving to save the day and pleading her devotion to him, he seems to have regained his spirit. After that, he returns to Alexandria with Cleopatra. Cassius Dio wrote that the passion and witchery of Cleopatra ensnared Mark Antony. I really, like, in my life, it went before I die, I want someone to describe me like that. <laughs> passion and witchery? Yeah, passion and witchery. I'll I use my that. passion and witchery and my womanly wiles to... I'll add that to the statue I build for you in the death parade. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. And the pyre. Don't forget the pyre. And the pyre. <laughs> Plutarch suggests that it was drugs and sorcery, yet again. Um, for what it's worth, contemporaries of the time spoke of an actual affection and love between the two of them. And this included Octavia. I believe it. Yeah. But you don't do this kind of stuff for just political no. um, friends, allies. Jesus. <laughs> My words are for failing. a political alliance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once Mark Antony got his mojo back, he marched his men to the kingdom of Armenia and took it relatively swiftly. Why don't you say it like it is? Once he licked his wounds... He came back. (laughs) Yes. This had basically been his revenge after the king of Armenia had pledged to assist Antony in Parthia and then never showed up. Oh, good. 
It was a small victory, hardly one that would have warranted a triumph in Rome, but it did the job in satisfying Antony's dejected legions. He would later ride into Alexandria at the head of the golden chariot, parading the spoils of war down Canopic Way, which was the wide road that ran the length of Alexandria, orchestrating his own sort of triumph outside of Rome, which the Romans would not have approved of. Nope, of course not. Mark Antony presented his loot from Armenia to Cleopatra, who sat upon a golden throne of her own in full Egyptian regalia. Mark Antony even presented the fallen king of Armenia and his family to Cleopatra as captives. Um, interestingly enough, the king of Armenia famously refuses to kneel before Cleopatra. It is one of the very few public shows of defiance from another sovereign refusing to recognize her authority. Wow. Several days of feasting and partying followed the faux triumph. Cleopatra is seen once again on a dais with the Egyptian crown that she is probably most famous for. It would have had a cobra on the front and the vulture's wings cascading down the side of her head. That's so cool. I love it. So we don't we don't have a crown that like survives to this day. So if you look it up online, there's different versions. Yeah. I think that's the one she's most famous for. Both Cleopatra and Mark Antony occupied two separate golden thrones, with Antony dressed once more as Dionysus. Just below the dais were four additional smaller thrones for Cleopatra's children. Antony then bestowed upon Cleopatra a new title. She was now the Queen of Kings. Yes. Caesarion had been named the King of Kings along with Antony's two sons by Cleopatra, Alexander Helios and Ptolemy. And then the children were all bestowed a number of lands as gifts. Alexander Helios was now king of Armenia, Media, and once Mark Antony conquered it, Parthia. Little Ptolemy was granted Phoenicia, Syria, and Sicilia, along with lands west of the Euphrates River. Cleopatra Selene was given the Greek settlement of Cyrene in modern-day Libya. I was going to say, did she not get anything? Because I feel like Cleopatra is failing her daughter. She doesn't give her anything. <laughs> she gets smaller things. Yeah. She, she does get a few things. Not long after, new coins were minted to celebrate the occasion. Cleopatra also becomes the first foreigner to ever appear on a Roman coin. Ooh. With Mark Antony's Roman Empire and Cleopatra's Ptolemaic Empire joined, they would have controlled territory that consisted of most of Europe, the northern parts of Egypt and Africa, and extended well into Turkey, Syria, and the, Mil- and the Middle East. These gifts become known as the Donations of Alexandria in 34 BCE. Thirteen-year-old Caesarion, as Cleopatra's co-ruler, already claimed all of Egypt with Cleopatra, and now Mark Antony was bringing up his paternity again, reminding Alexandria and the world that he was the natural-born son of Julius Caesar. Oh, right, right. <laughs> The suggestion was clear. Cleopatra had been granted a huge swath of land that essentially made her wealthier and more powerful than any other client king affiliated with Rome. She essentially rendered all Roman commanders useless who would have been assigned to each individual region she now controlled as gratitude for services rendered. Cleopatra pretty much outranked every other Roman politician and commander other than Mark Antony himself and Octavian. Feel the egos being bruised. If you think Octavian was going to just sit by and watch his adoptive father's former mistress name Caesar's son as her successor to a large swath of territory that would rival his own silently, you would be highly mistaken. 
And this is where we pause our story. (laughs) Please join us again in two weeks to hear the epic conclusion to the story of Cleopatra. Yes. She's um, about to piss off a lot of people. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Sources for this episode are the same as the last two. Cleopatra, A Life by Stacey Skiff and Wikipedia. And yeah. Yeah. This was uh, intended to be three parts, but... uh... (laughs) Rachel and her awesomeness has made it four for you all. You're welcome. Clearly, uh, that didn't happen. (laughs) So please please come in two weeks. I I promise you the end of this story is... I'm excited. ...worth the wait. You set it up really well. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Definite cliffhanger. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So we have... A random question that it. is courtesy. Yeah, I think we got time. Okay. <laughs> courtesy of Kat this time. Courtesy of Kat. Okay. So, are you ready? Yeah. For the question. I am so ready. I was yeah. born ready. Were you? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what is the difference between living and existing? I think existing, um, it's kind of just when you wake up, you do your job you eat, you drink water, and it's it's literally, there's nothing more to it. You're you're barely existing. There's there's no joy in your like life. It's almost like you're surviving yeah. life instead you, of taking an active role in your life. Yes. Living is when you actually go out to deliberately experience life. You know, life isn't just about waking up and working and going to sleep again. It's, you have to consistently be growing as a human. Consistently Even if growing it's like as a, a human. small little... You're, you're investing in your growth. You're investing in the growth of your friends, hopefully, yeah. your family. Hopefully. Um, your itty-bitty babies. <laughs> you have values. You yeah. have a reason to wake up every day and live a life full of intent. Yeah. Like you are saying, like, there's growth. There's joy. There's also sadness. Yeah. Because living isn't always easy, but it's intentional. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's intentional. Instead of letting events in your life control yeah. how you live, you're taking those events and making them work for you. I think just existing is kind of your passive yeah. in your own life. Whereas when you're living, you take a more active role. Yeah. You've decided on the things that are important for you and you work hard and you go for them. Yeah. I just had a conversation kind of sort of along the same line about um, with a friend about a friend that we shared that we kind of just fell off just kind of like yeah the friendship kind of just fell away yeah and it's because so i pulled away because this person loves playing the victim in her life Mm -hmm. everything that happens happens to her like she has no control over it she doesn't even try to control it she doesn't fight for herself and i personally cannot be friends with people like that like because i want my friends to succeed yeah. And if I'm constantly trying to push you to better yourself and you're constantly refusing to do so, I'm not going to sit there and watch yeah. you ruin your life, ruin your own life. Like, right. And yeah, we were just, we were just talking about that because we both, the, the friends who are still friends, um, we both are kind of really disappointed because it's like, what? It's sad. <laughs> I'm actually kind of going through that myself yeah. with somebody in my life too, yeah. but it's like at some point. You, you can't decide. live your life passively. You can't no. let things happen to you. Like if if you're not happy with the way things are going, you have to at some point in your life take, move, take that step in the right direction. And you did that. Like you oh, yeah. experienced multiple that. times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You 
you have to determine what your values are and that includes the people in your life and the things you want to do with your life yeah happy with the way your life's going then change it yeah and that's i I know that's like really hard to do sometimes but it's it's not impossible to do it's It's incredibly hard to do and if you've surrounded with the right people in your life who show up for you and lift you up become easy they will be there to help you yeah and it really comes down to what your choices are do you want to live to work or do you want to work to live yep exactly exactly yeah i think we're both really good about living yes (laughs) there are i mean there are times in my life when i'm just existing like there are times in my life where i'm like all right what's happening great that's how that happened to me (laughs) that happened to me a few years ago you called me out on it because i had i remember i'm sure you remember i was disappointed because you had to bail on something yeah and i was like hey i was really looking forward to this and you got all cat-like and pissy for a moment, but then you told me, you yeah. called me out on my bullshit, which yeah. is essentially you'd been available for six months and yeah. I, I had been. Yeah. yeah. And I, I took that to heart because I was yeah. like, you know what? You're important to me. My friendships are important yeah. to me. I'm being a shitty friend. I'm going to actively work to be better. It wasn't even you were being a shitty friend. It was that moment where it was just like, can you chill for five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. I needed to hear it. Yeah. I needed my and butt it, it was, it, I remember that because I was working at Science Center. I'm yes. you like, hey, really? I'm like, okay, Rachel, come down. I remember that. <laughs> but no, it was, it was. I was trying to, I was also trying to speak up for myself more. Yeah. And, and I, you did it, but it was it was an after the fact where like, I didn't know you were struggling. Yes. And if I had known you were struggling, I would have been like, sure, like, I was also not very good at speaking up for myself. Yeah, so in, thank you. I'm trying. You are. <laughs> it, it takes practice. Yeah. So I wasn't very tactful about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> but the true hallmark of a good converse, or a good friendship is being able to take on confrontation. Yeah. It's, it's not there to drive a wedge in a friendship. It's there yeah. to strengthen it. Yeah. And like, when, like you said, like you, you, you said you weren't tactful about it. I wasn't tactful about it when I first started because I was like, <laughs> all right, Rachel, here's the fucking deal. Like I got mad. <laughs> and you know what? I appreciated it because I was like, now oh. I know that's all I want. I'm like, you yeah, can, if you're mad at me, fucking tell oh, me I'm you're blatant, mad I am me. blatantly honest. When somebody annoys me, it might take me a minute to tell you to like, get my words all together yeah. and like figure it out. But I love, <laughs> I love that about you. Yeah. I love that about Aries people. I love that about fire people because yeah. water people will hold it all in. You go with and the flow. You boil. let it flow. <laughs> they, they, no, they and then, don't. But you build they a dam down. and yes. then the dam and then breaks. <laughs> fire people will just tell you. And I, like I've always said, Whatever you're feeling, just tell me if you're angry at me. Like, it may hurt me for a second, but now I know where you stand. Yeah. And I hate not knowing where people And stand. I honestly, I hate, I I get those, before every time that I call you out, I get that, like, how do I do this without hurting her? Like, I don't want to hurt her. <laughs> like, I always think about that. I don't because, think you've ever hurt me. No, and I, I don't think I have either, but I, I always take a second to be like, okay, how do I say this without being Tactfully, shit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because trust I, me, if I say the first thing that comes to my mind, yeah. you'll be like, excuse me? And I'll be like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I have always appreciated that you've called me on my bullshit and I've tried to you called me on my, yeah, on my bullshit when we first started dating. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you kept calling me out on my bullshit as far as like the, you know, I was very, I was 
opening myself up to being open-minded, but I was very closed off and closed-minded when we first met. Yeah. 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 Still kind of I mean, <laughs> it all takes time. Yeah, but that's what you true catch, friendship is, guys, and we got that. You, you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> or tape. Why are we catching flies? I don't know. <laughs> Let's go swim. <laughs> yeah, guys, we're gonna go swim because it's like um, Satan's butthole out here. <laughs> what did I send you that thing where it was like um, it was supposed to reach 117, but the cover the, the cover from the fires yes. kept the temperature down. So, guys, basically, fires are cooling Phoenix down. <laughs> yeah, that's how hot it's been here. So yeah. we are going to swim. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. But, um, you yeah. have been listening to Difficult Damsels. Yeah. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. This helps get the word out. Indeed. You can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. If you have any requests for a topic or a person or just want to contact us, I guess. Want to hang out? We're not going to hang <laughs> out. We'll talk to out. you on email. <laughs> on the interwebs. We're also on Facebook and slowly becoming a presence on Instagram. I saw I was very proud of you. You did that. I was like in it to win it on Wednesday. I was like, I'm posting everywhere. I posted uh, precursors and I saw that. I was very excited. Keep keep it up when you can. Obviously your wife's busy. Yeah. (laughs) And as always, stay difficult. Stay difficult, guys.